0: Well, today, as we get closer to Easter, and in the following weeks, Pastor Brad will be bringing a new series talking about the excruciating life of the Christians. And as we enter this Easter season, today I'm going to be focusing on a passage in John 17. So feel free to, to turn to that passage in John 17. Where we are in this passage in John 17 is right in the middle of all the events that we're celebrating during this Easter season. In this chapter, Jesus prays to the Father the night of His betrayal. So, Jesus had already had His triumphal entry in Jerusalem, and by the way, today, exactly today, a month ago today, we entered Jerusalem. I'll always remember that going into the tunnel and then everything opens up and there's Jerusalem and everything. It was really cool. So Jesus already had his entry into Jerusalem and the prayer would have most likely happened in the upper room. So after this prayer in chapter 18, it says that Jesus finished praying this prayer that we're gonna look at. Jesus crossed over the Kidron Valley and went to an olive grove. And that would have been the Garden of Gethsemane. The place where Jesus was betrayed. So, those of you that have gone to Israel, I don't know if you're like me, but now I can see the Kidron Valley, and we walked from the upper room to the garden, and I, I have it in my mind now, and it's it's awesome that it's, it's really coming to life now. So, as we ch- turn to John 17, Um, Hopefully, it will give a little context into where we are, what's going on right now for Jesus as we take a look at this prayer. This prayer, knowing uh, where we are in Jesus' life, could have been very selfish. Jesus, knowing what was about to happen, uh, could have been praying for Himself. But what we see when we look at this Scripture, this chapter, is that Jesus spends the majority of His time praying for us. Jesus starts this prayer in chapter 17, and we see Jesus does start to pray for Himself, but if we look at what it says, He is praying that it's time to accomplish His mission as to why He was sent to the earth, and that's to bless all of us with eternal life. So, Jesus here is praying for Himself, but He's also indirectly praying for each one of us. Then in verses 6 through 19, Jesus is praying for His disciples those people that were around him at the time then in verses 20 through 26 which is the passage we're we're going to focus on today jesus continues to pray for all believers he's praying for all the believers so jesus is praying for you he's praying for me and he's praying for all people who come to know jesus christ as their personal savior some people might say that this this chapter john 17 is the greatest chapter on love in the bible because it is love being personified by jesus jesus's love is shown by what he says in this prayer that we're going to look at and we learn that jesus has real concern for his believers so jesus is praying for us for our benefit care and eternity turn to verses 20 through 26 and read this together verse 20. my prayer is not for them alone I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you have loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So, as we look at this passage of Scripture today, we're going to be looking at three aspects of this prayer. Those three aspects are the people of his prayer, the desire of his prayer, and the confidence of his prayer. We're going to look at the people, the desire, and the confidence. So, the first aspect is the people of his prayer. At the top of this passage in my Bible, um, it has a title section, and it says, Jesus prays for all believers. So, right off the bat, we see who Jesus is praying for. In verse 20, Jesus doesn't continue his prayer just to the disciples who were alive when he was there on earth he says i pray also for those who believe in me through their message so in that statement that jesus uses he scans through the centuries of time praying for all believers believers of names he already knows an awesome thing to think about is jesus two thousand years ago was praying for you and i in this passage right here listen to this verse again except Insert your own name into this verse. I pray also for Marcus. Pray also for Nancy. I pray also for Tim. Insert your name. Who will believe in me through their message? So realize here that Jesus is praying for me. He is praying for you. Jesus is praying for all believers. A true Christian is one who believes in Christ and one who is totally committed to to Jesus acts 16 31 says believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved so God wants your belief he wants your faith commitment to Jesus and that is the type of person that Jesus is praying for in this passage let's step back and put ourselves directly in in the moment here imagine that you're one of Jesus's disciples you're right there you're listening to Jesus pray this prayer in the upper room and you hear the statement those who will believe in me through their message. Their message is the message of the disciples. So, can you imagine what their reaction was? Jesus knew everything that was about to happen, and that his disciples would, they would have no clue what was about to happen and what they were about to do for the kingdom of God. Because not only did they preach and teach what Jesus had said once Jesus was gone from earth, but they wrote it down, and the the apostles wrote the entire New Testament for for us before they died. And they probably couldn't have imagined how much it had spread the good news to 2,000 years ago I would be up here preaching about what's written down. So, Jesus is trusting the disciples to do this monumental task And Jesus knew these guys. He knew their failures. He knew their faults. But He had confidence that His disciples would start spreading the good news to reach millions and millions of believers who would come to know Jesus, which we are a part of today. So that's the first aspect. People of His prayer are us, the believers, ones who have come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. So he's including all the believers from his time on earth to our time now to the believers in the future. The second aspect of this prayer is the desire of his prayer. And why is Jesus praying? He prays when we find out that Jesus only prays, he only prays for one thing for us while we are on earth. Only one thing for us while we are on earth. So if Jesus is praying and he's only praying for one thing for us while we are on earth, We should take note of it because it's pretty important jesus only prays for one thing for us while we are on earth and he prays for one thing for us when we are in heaven but let's look at this one thing while we are on earth here in verse 21 we find that one thing it says that all of them may be one so jesus here prays for oneness this oneness encompasses everything this oneness is a a byproduct of love, and of holiness. We as Christians are to be set apart, to be separated from sin, and to be one in holiness. So through and in Christ, we are to be one. And why must we be one? It says at the end of the verse, in verse 21, that the world may believe that you, God, that the world may believe that you, you have sent me. So, being one with one another is our testimony to the world. It's our testimony as believers to the world. We need to be one with one another. Jesus' desire for us is to be one, just like the Father is in Christ and how Christ is in the Father. And there's two, two main things that encompass this oneness, of the God, the Father, and God, the Son, Jesus. They are both separated from sin, and they both have love. So, does the Father love the Son? Does the Son love the Father? Absolutely. Are they both separate from sin? Yes. Those things define their oneness in each other, and that is what Jesus is praying for us As believers, to have that same oneness as the Father and Jesus both have. So, for us as Christians, this oneness doesn't exist because of our sinfulness in our lives. We aren't separated from sin yet, and it can get complicated to be one, even without that, because people, Christians, have different theologies and denominations, and values, and it can be very difficult to be united as believers. But this is the one thing that Jesus prays for while we are on earth, for us to be one. So how do we do that? A.W. Tozer, a famous pastor from the 1950s, has an illustration about pianos that I think really works well with this verse he said that if you take a hundred pianos a piano just like this one you have a hundred of them and you try to tune them all to each other pretty soon you'll have a mess it would not work at all but if you tune each one of them to a tuning fork each one they will be tuned together because they're all tuned to the tuning fork So for us as Christians, we need to follow the example of Christ gave us. So we need to let Christ be our tuning fork. If we're all tuned to Christ, we will all be one to one another. This is how we can all be one with one another. And the world will believe that God sent his son, Jesus, because of that testimony of the believers that we are all one with one another. Let's continue in verse 22. It says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. This verse says that we now have the key ingredient so that we can be one. The key ingredient. And that ingredient says it's glory. So, what's the glory of God? It's, it's all God's attributes, his character, his essence, it's it's who he is. That's the glory of God. And we've been given that through the Holy Spirit. We have the glory of God. We are one because we have the glory of God. And we received this glory because Christ is now in us through the Holy Spirit. This glory was passed down from God the Father, down to the Son, and now down to the believers. Jesus prays, saying that He has given us the key ingredient for oneness, and that's the glory of God. And that glory is now in us, and that's a great thing to comprehend, a great thing to think about. Continuing on in this passage, verse 23, it's kind of a repeat of what was said in the previous verses to emphasize the point that God is in Christ and that Christ is in us. Then it says that we may be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and love them even as you have loved me. So we, we are united in Christ. There is no excuse for any discord or disunity because the world won't know where Jesus came from and the world isn't going to see the love of God unless the world sees our testimony as believers that we are one with one another. In John 13, 35, Jesus says that men will know that you are my disciples if you, does anybody know, if you love one another. The world has no valid way of evaluating Christianity except through the testimony of us as Christians. We should be displaying that love for one another. The world doesn't understand our beliefs and the truth because they don't have the Spirit of God in them. They can't comprehend the truths in the Bible and in turn do not understand Jesus and what He has done for us. The only way for them to understand is through our testimony as believers. And so, Christ's desire for us while we are on earth is that He wants us to be one, which is made possible because we have that divine glory, and in turn, the world will know about Christ and His mission because of this. So, that was His first desire of the prayer while we were on earth. So, the second desire is He prays for one thing for us while we are in heaven. And Jesus prays for our eternal fellowship with Christ and the Father. Jesus wants to spend eternity with his believers. Look at verse 24. It says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. That should be our prayer as Christians. We want to be with Christ but here in this path, this is what Jesus is praying for us. Jesus is praying this, that He wants us to be with Him. And that's a fantastic promise for us as believers, that our presence will be with Him for eternity. Our presence will be with Him for eternity. And that truth contains a few things that our presence will be with him for eternity, contains a few things. And the first thing that contains is is death. You won't get to be with Jesus and see his full glory in heaven until your time here on earth is done. But once you die, as soon as you die, you will enter into his presence. And when Jesus prays that he wants us to be where he is, Jesus is referring to dying and entering into his presence. Now not only death brings the believers to the presence of Christ, but if Christ comes back, when Christ comes back, that will be when we are in his presence as well if we haven't died yet. At the end of the day, God will create a new heaven and a new earth, and we will be with Christ there as well because the believer will follow Christ wherever he is wherever christ is our presence will be with him as well so for the believers who haven't died yet and the the rapture will bring them into the presence of christ colossians 3 4 says when christ who is your life appears then you will also appear with him in glory so there's never any other destination for the believer other than with Christ We will always be with him through eternity, at the new heaven and the new earth. You can read about it yourself at the end of the book here in Revelation. Christ wins. I read it. We can know that what happens at the end. And here in Revelation 21:3, towards the very end of the Bible, It says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. So we find in this passage, at the very end, that the the dwelling of God is with men. Where God is will be where men are. And that is the picture of what eternity will be in the new heaven and the new earth. And so Jesus prays that we will be with him where he is, and that is the absolute truth. That is his second desire of his prayer. So we've talked about the people of his prayer the desire of his prayer, and now finally the the confidence in his prayer. Jesus closes this prayer with verses 25 and 26, and he has confidence in what he's saying here. He believes that God will hear and answer him. Verse 25, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. So Jesus is talking about his right to pray to God because of who he is and our right as believers to get God's eternal blessing because Christ knows God. Let's continue verse 26. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So this is the close. This is how Jesus wraps up his prayer, his amen. So Jesus has the confidence that God will hear and answer him for all from what he just prayed. Because Jesus is going to continue to do his part, making the Father known to the believers. He's going to continue his work of salvation So let's let's remember where we are in this passage. Remember where we are in this time of Jesus' life on earth. It's the night before Jesus' death. Jesus is about to let himself be arrested, be flogged, and crucified. Jesus is finishing his prayer saying that he's going to continue to do his part. He's going to finish the work that he was sent to earth to do. For those who believe in that will receive salvation. And he asks the Father to respond to the desire of his prayer. And then he says that he will be faithful in doing his part. So as we wrap up uh, Jesus' prayer for us here in this passage, let me give you a few, few thoughts to think about. First, Jesus was praying for his own people. He was praying for his believers. We just uncovered the blessing that will happen in the future to all the believers. So ask yourself, are you a believer? Are you someone that Jesus is praying for in this passage? I hope and pray that you are. And if not, I hope that you come to realize that Jesus is the Savior, that He was sent to die for you. If you are a believer, if you've asked Jesus to become your personal Savior, are you fulfilling Jesus's desire for us on earth? Are you fulfilling that desire that Jesus prayed for? So ask yourself, what's your testimony to the world? Are you one with the Father and the son are you one with the believers remember that jesus gave that common connection for all of us all believers are one through christ and in him so does your life tell the world that god sent his son those are two things i want you to think about as uh, we conclude this service let's pray dear lord thank you for this prayer this prayer that you you prayed for for me for all believers thank you for continuing to do your part and dying on the cross so that we may be saved through you. Lord, please help us be one with one another and love each other just as you prayed for us to do, Lord. And as we leave from this place here, let us know what our testimony is to other believers and to the world and, and help us continuing to be tuned to who you are and be a good example for you. In your name, amen.